if you are caught sleeping, if you're caught napping, if you just read it as literature for us to read, then you will lose, you will not gain all of what is being said. This is one of those times. I don't really want to preach to you something that you don't already know, but rather present to you the sorrows of our Christ and what we can do and what he shows us we are to do in light of them. I'm not one to watch television much, but there was a show that I like to watch here and there. And it's a show that you might have watched before. In fact, it had 15 seasons on television. The title is simple. It's What Would You Do? What Would You Do? The premise of the show is, is quite simple. You put people in situations and you see what they would do in a certain situation. So you put someone at a restaurant and the waitress is being harassed and you see if that person will stand up for the waitress, for the waiter. You know, when I was younger, there was, there was a time when that, that saying, what would you do? It took a religious tone where people would wear bracelets. If you were uh, keen on it, you remember. You might have even had one. I had a few. It was a bracelet, and it had on there WWJD. In fact, one of my favorite athletes, basketball players, used to wear one. So I had to wear one. And the acronym was quite simple. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? It, it was helpful for Christians because you get put in various situations and, and you simply look at your wrist. And you say to yourself, well, what would Jesus do in this situation? It was very helpful. Saints of God, let's just get to the chase. Or cut to the chase, rather. When what plagues us as human beings is upon us. When, when sorrow and suffering is present and at our doors. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And thankfully, saints of God, we don't need to speculate on what Jesus would do. But rather, Matthew 26 Gives us the answer. What would Jesus do when the storms of life are coming your way? Jesus would pray. That's the answer. Jesus would pray. What would Jesus do when sorrow is present? When the lights begin to turn off on the soul? Jesus would pray. Jesus would pray. And Matthew 26 doesn't just tell us what to do when sorrow is present, but rather Matthew 26 tells us what to say when sorrow is present. Not just what you do, but what do you say when sorrow is present? Congregation, I hope you hear me today. This sermon is really much for myself more than it is for you. This, this text preached more to my soul 
throughout this week than, I'm, than probably any text that I've preached in the past few months. Ultimately, this text teaches us this, this essential truth of the Christian faith. Is that the best response to the troubles you have is to get to God as quick as you can. Again, the best response to the troubles that you have, oh, hear me now, is to get to God as quick as you can. As we enter the ending of Matthew 26, it's, it's sort of like the sun is beginning to set on the soul of our Savior. The, the, the lights are beginning to, to go out, if you would. This is much different than how this chapter began. It, this chapter begins with a woman coming to Christ with an expensive alabaster vial and, and pours it over the head of our Savior. Much different than how this chapter begins. Jesus is, is given a gift of love. But as Christ enters this garden, the only thing now that would be touching his head is dirt when he falls on his face. The only thing that will be pouring down from his head is not an expensive vial of alabaster, but rather it is, it is blood. This scene in the life of our Savior is one of those times is, is when you read it, you could be having the greatest of day. Everything could be going right for you. But when you read Matthew 26, verses 36 through 46... Your soul is gripped to its core. It's sort of like, it's sort of like seeing your hero, the, the one whom you love and look up to, going through something that, that you don't want them to go through, but, but you just have to keep looking. It's one of those times, saints of God, where when you read it, it doesn't matter where you are, it doesn't matter what you're doing, it's appropriate to shed a tear. It's appropriate to feel the weight of what our Savior is going through. This scene begins in a garden. Things happen in a garden. Beautiful things happen in gardens. Many of you have gardens or aspire to have gardens. But beautiful things happen like, like, like dirty soil transform into vibrant and beautiful flowers. Things that are not appealing to the eye, dirt, turn into something that we photograph and take pictures of. But also, church, terrible things happen in gardens. Terrible things happen in gardens. You remember what happened in the first garden, do you, don't you? Adam chose to obey his own will rather than then obey the will of God. And what happens? He brings darkness upon that garden. But I must admit, saints, it's quite strange that in the beginning, God chose a beautiful garden. Go read Genesis and see how lustrous it was. He, he chooses a beautiful garden to be the host of the saddest day in human history. Isn't it ironic? And it's here where God chooses another garden to be the host of another sad day in human history. To be the host of the agony and sadness of our Lord. 
You see, humanity was brought to sadness in the first garden. And here in this garden, Jesus Christ is brought to sadness. It's ironic, church, isn't it? That in a place so beautiful, something so bad can happen. In a place so beautiful, sorrow is present. How is it possible? That's the irony of God's creation, is it not, saints? That the sun will still shine in all its splendor in spite of a bloody war going on outside. It's the irony of creation, saints, that the birds will still sing in the morning in spite of us weeping all night. Sometimes, church, the beauty of what's going on outside of us doesn't reflect the pain of what's going on inside of us. Wouldn't it be nice if creation knew what we were going through? And St. Paul tells us that creation is growing, groaning and, 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 and awaiting, right? It's final terminus point, but it doesn't seem so. Because the sun still shines, the moon still shines, the birds still sing, the flowers still bloom. But this is not the case in Matthew 26. No, 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 no. The darkness of the night perfectly reflects the darkness that is falling upon the soul of Christ. We read in verse 36, and Jesus came to them called a place, to a place called Gethsemane and told the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. I don't have time to get into the word Gethsemane. But simply put, it's the place of crushing. Here, we already see two points of application when it comes to prayer. Saints, this, again, the sermon is all about prayer. The first point is obvious. That prayer ought to be the first thing we do in times of sorrow. That prayer ought to be the first thing we do in times of sorrow. The opening verses of this scene teaches us, congregation, that when prayer mounts, or rather, when, when pressure mounts, Prayer is the way to go. When the pressures of life begin to build and build and build, how you relieve that pressure is going to God in prayer. And while we can say amen to that statement, when we are in the midst of sorrow, prayer sometimes is the last thing that we do. When we are in the midst of hurt and pain, prayer sometimes is the last thing that we do. When we are sick, what do we do? We make appointments to go see the doctor. When we are bothered by the words of our co-workers, what do we do? We call that one friend who always gives us the best advice. When we are Angry. What do we do? We, we, we go to sleep to try to cool off. When we are sad, we go shopping. But here our Lord teaches us is that before you make your, your appointment to urgent care, you better go have a talk with your family doctor who is the Lord. Here our Lord teaches us that, that before you call your friend who gives you the best advice, that you better have a conversation with the one friend who sticks closer than a brother, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. That before you call your mother, you better consult with your heavenly father. That before you Google your answer 
So what's your what's your what's going on inside of you? <laughs> oh, we, we do that, do we not? The Lord teaches us that you better call upon the name of the Lord and wait for his answer. Don't wait for the instant answer of Google. Wait on the Lord. Wait for what he got to say. Oh, I love this story I heard from a, from a minister. <clears throat> he says that his wife was in labor and the doctor comes in and the doctor says, Pastor, can I speak to you privately? Goes outside. He says, I want to speak to you privately because we got a little issue going on. There's a complication that, that you need to make a decision right now. Either save your wife or save your child. Which one are you going to choose? The minister tells the doctor, okay, doc, um, you got a closet nearby. The doctor says, what do you mean do I got a closet nearby? He says, yeah, you got a closet nearby. You see, because... You asked to speak to me privately. Now I got to go speak to my God privately. You got a closet nearby. And what we see, congregation, from that story is that before you go talk to your wife, and before you start thinking in your own mind, you better go to God in prayer and see what God has to say. You want to know the end of the story? He still has his wife, and he still has his son. We'll get to God answering prayer next month. Oh, church, please take my words to heart and apply them, would you? This saints, listen to me now, especially young people, hear me now. This is not some preacher just preaching to you some religious thing to do. This is not so some hustle I'm trying to give to you. This is not a religious thing to do. No, 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 no. But prayer... Is the only thing to do. Prayer is the only thing to do. This is not coming from merely a preacher preaching God's word, but rather this is coming from a man who knows what prayer can do. And who knows that when you go through something, prayer is the only answer. But you may say, well, why pray, preacher? Why pray? If I can't move the will of God, if I can't change God's mind, all those, you know, naughty theological questions that we may have, why pray? Most especially when darkness is upon my soul. Why pray? I'm glad you asked. Notice what Jesus says to his disciples in verse 36. Sit here while I go over there and pray. Sit here. While I go over there and pray. Take no congregation. That the words sit. Are not meant to mean that the disciples were to sit forever. Let me say it one more time. Sit here means. That the disciples were not meant to sit there forever. But rather sit here and hear me now. Sit here disciples. Because there's coming a time when you're going to have to get up. Saints of God, this second point of application of prayer, or rather this is the second application we see in prayer. That if we can't sit down to pray, then we may not be able to stand when the ways of life come our way. 
that if you can't sit down and pray, then you may not be able to stand when the sorrows of life come knocking at your door. In other words, prayer is not just telling God our needs. But, but prayer is readying the soul for what's to come. Prayer conditions the mind and readies the soul so that when the storms of life makes its way, you are like those rocks on the beach. What do those rocks on the beach do? Those rocks on the beach protect the houses and the community so that when the heavy storms start to come, sure, sure, the rocks may get a little wet, but the rocks are unmoved. Saints of God, prayer rockens your soul, prepares you for the waves that are to come, that yes, you may get some water on you, but you will stand your ground. That yes, you may get a little wet, but you will be unmoved when the waves of life start to come. Pretty prayer readies our soul for the, star, the storm of sorrow and, and, and suffering that threaten to take our lives. You want to stand, congregation, when pain hits. Then sit down and pray. Then sit down and pray. You want to stand when, when trial comes, then learn how to sit and pray. Let us not be so stubborn, church, thinking that I serve a big God and things are going to work itself out. Oh, most surely you do. Most surely you serve a big God. And most surely things will work itself out. I'm not here to tell you that God will not work all things together for good. But that's not the question. The question is not whether God will work all things together for good. The question is, will you be able to stand when God is working all things together for good? That's the question. This is the problem with disciples, was it not? You see it here in our text. Verse 40 and 41, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He tells them to pray, he finds them sleeping. Then he says to Peter, so you men could not keep watching me for one hour. Keep watching and praying. Christ comes back two more times. He sees the same thing. I'm sure in Christ's mind, he says, look at these dudes. Sleeping when I'm hurting. Sleeping. They saw me fall on my face. Sleeping while I'm in agony. The moments before their whole lives will be turned upside down. Rather than praying, they are sleeping. And amongst the many thoughts I have on this, one thought came to my mind, church. It's a hypothetical thought, so don't take what I say as dogma. But if, but maybe, but maybe if Christ's disciples were busy on their faces before God in prayer, then maybe they would have been able to stand with Jesus instead of all abandoning Jesus. Let's take Peter, for example. Maybe if Peter took serious our Lord's words here to pray, then maybe he would have been able to stand when, they, when he saw what they were doing to his teacher. 
Maybe if Peter was praying instead of sleeping, he would have pulled out his sword and struck the ear of that soldier when they came and arrested our Lord. Maybe if Peter sat down and prayed, he wouldn't deny the Lord three times. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know the answer, saints. I can only speak to what prayer has done in my own life. Many of you already know, but for the past months, my soul has been rocking and shaking. And I can tell you, church, that if I never sat down and prayed, and I'll, 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 if God didn't sit me down to pray, if God didn't sit me down to cry to Him, and saints of God, I don't know if I would have been able to stand when the trials of life were at my door. Because, congregation, what I learned over the past few months in and out of hospital, hospitals, is that prayer is not what we ought to do. But prayer is what we need to do in the times of sorrow. It's what we need to do in the times of sorrow. I'm not preaching you, saints of God, merely the word of God. I'm preaching you how the word of God and prayer has affected my own life. That if you want to stand, congregation, we have to pray. You see, saints, let us have to not have this low view of prayer. Well, I'm just talking to God and I'm hoping he listens. No, no, no. Prayer is much more deeper and unique than that. Prayer is where heaven and earth meet and have a conversation. Prayer is where human suffering meets divine peace. Prayer is where human abandonment meets divine company. Prayer is where the limitations of our humanity Meet the supernatural power of God. And God does something. That's what prayer is. Prayer is where God overcomes our limitations. He overcomes our weaknesses. And he says, grab onto my hand, son. Grab onto my hand. In times of sorrow, we need to pray. We need to pray. And if there's anything that sticks out to us in this text, congregation... The sorrow that our Lord was in. The sorrow that he was in. Verse 37, Jesus says, or rather it says, the Lord began to be grieved and distressed. Oh, these are so hard to read, congregation. In verse 38, imagine Jesus telling you this. My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. Imagine the Lord telling you, you thinking you're Superman. You're grieving? And now I got to keep watch over you? Oh, we see him, Pastor Antonio, in a way that we have never seen him before up to this point. Up to this point, we have never seen Christ like this. Agonizing, sorrowful, crushed, in pain. Saints, if anyone ever tells you that the word that the that the road to the cross for Christ was easy, oh, I must admit, this picture of Jesus is is quite strange, is it not? This is not how Hollywood would write it. 
that moments before our Lord's death, the Bible doesn't present to us some sort of superhero, unmoved by carrying the weight of the world's sin on his shoulders and back. No, 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 no. The Bible doesn't present to us a superman. No, no, no. To do that, to do that rather would, would ignore the marvel of that hypostatic union. That although Jesus was God enough to walk on water, he was, he was still a man and needed to drink water. I don't know about you, church, but I appreciate this picture of Jesus. As sad as this is, I appreciate this picture of Jesus. Because it shows us that, that we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. That we don't have an elder brother who can't say to us when we are in pain and sorrow, I know, child. I know what you're going through. We don't have that in the Lord. And maybe this is the reason why Jesus took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee with him. Some have suggested that Jesus takes these men because these men were his favorites. I don't know, maybe. But if you remember, church, these three men are the same three men that Jesus took with him up that mountain where they saw that transfiguration. They saw the glories of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and here we see these three men. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus takes the same men who saw the glories of the transfiguration. And he says, now you need to see the sorrow in Gethsemane. This is why, church, we also need this picture of Jesus. We need this picture of Jesus. Because this picture of Jesus teaches us the reality of being a Christian. That there is no glory in life without some grief in life. That the blessings of life and the sorrows of life are a package deal. That, that no Christian will enter through the gates of heaven without first carrying a cross here on earth. But don't let this frighten you, saints. Don't, don't, don't let this put you under the sin of despair. Oh, I love those old songs I used to hear as a, as a kid. And, and I didn't understand them when I was younger. But I do now that Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. This is my favorite part. There is not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No not one. No, not one. I didn't know it then, but I know it now, saints of God. I, I didn't appreciate it then, but I appreciate it now. That I got a Savior who I can call upon, who knows what it feels like to be weak, to be in pain, to be in sorrow, to be in suffering. One of our greatest comforts in life is knowing that on the other side, the one whom we're talking to is, has gone through the same thing that we have gone through. Saints of God, you have that in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear me now. You have that in the Lord Jesus Christ. You think Christ don't know? You may not know what he's gone through, but he knows what you've gone through. And he can tell you, if I, if I went through it, and, 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 if, and if I could see the other side, then, then child, oh, bless, most assuredly you can as well. You have Christ, saints. In this text, congregation, 
Jesus not only shows us the need to pray when sorrow hits, but also teaches us what to pray when sorrow hits. Yes, go to the Lord, but also what do you say to God? What do you say to God? Our Lord prays to his heavenly father three times. You see it in the text. All three times he says the same thing. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Our Savior prays. And heaven is silent to what he's requesting. Oh, did you feel that? Our Savior prays. And and heaven is silent to what he's asking. I got my two hands up already. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there, church? This is unquestionably the hard pill to swallow when it comes to prayer, is it not? Oh, this is a hard pill to swallow. When you pray for something and God doesn't answer. Mm. Most especially when you're in the times of sorrow and God don't answer. I was there, saints of God. I was there in that children ICU room. Oh, help me, Lord, say this. When, when my son was being worked on as he had a hole in his lung and I'm, I'm praying, Lord, heal my boy. I was there. And the Lord answered my prayer. But I was also there, congregation. In that ICU waiting room, 21 years old, holding the hand of Pastor Antonio, him holding the hand of Mary, and her holding the hand of Rose. Oh, I was there. I was there. I can picture it in my mind right now. I was there praying that that the Lord would save my father. The Lord did not answer my prayer. Next thing I know, I'm... I'm crying in the arms of my brother Tony. I was there. Oh, this is a, this is the hard part of prayer. <laughs> that when the Lord doesn't answer. Oh, but church, I don't know why God doesn't answer all our prayers when sorrow is hit. I don't know why. But what I didn't know at age 21 while I was in that ICU waiting room, I do know now at age 34 that, that if God will do anything and all that I ask for him to do, then he's not God, I am. That the same freedom that God has in answering prayer is the same freedom that he has in not answering prayer. And let me tell you, I was going to say this, but let me, let me just tell you, the Lord did answer our prayers and he healed my father. And he's in better care now than he would have been here on earth. He has more joy now than he does and will ever have if he stayed alive here on earth. The Lord answered my prayer. And what's the great resolve in prayer then, saints of God? What's the great resolve? Well, how can we sleep at night comfortably after we have prayed? Jesus gives us the answer in how we pray. He tells God his desires. 
Lord, let it pass from me. But then he ends it with this. Not as I will, but as you will. That's the resolve of prayer, saints of God. That right there is how you sleep comfortably at night after you have prayed. Essentially, what this means is, Lord, you know what I want. You know all what I want. But, 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 if, but if you want to do, and if what, what you want to do is different than what I want to do, then, then, then Lord, then Lord, override what I want to do and do what you want to do. Now you might say, well, you know that preacher. I already pray like that. I pray all the time, Lord, let your will be done. But saints of God, let me tell you, when you pray, Lord, let your will be done, you do know that things may get worse. That things might actually not get better. <laughs> but, but, but things actually might get a little bit darker. You, you, you do know that, saints of God. How do I know that? I can tell you by experience, but I can just show you with Christ. Things will get worse. That if your suffering is at level three, God might turn your suffering to level nine. Oh, it got worse for Jesus. Oh, it got worse for Jesus, saints. Jesus prayed. And no answer. But in one way, his prayer was answered. Because right after our Lord prays for that third time, Lord, let your will be done. The father says, all right, bet. What's the next scene? He sees Judas. He sees Judas. He sees Judas and he sees the crowd. The father says, oh, my will, okay. And I'm not saying that there's some sort of Divide in the will of, of Christ and the will of the Father. I'm not saying that at all. But the, but the Father is saying, okay, let's do this. The next scene, Judas enters. What I'm telling you, church, is simply this, that it got worse for Jesus before it got better for Jesus. That before Easter Resurrection Sunday came, th there was a passion that needed to, to go on. Oh, saints of God, it got worse for Jesus. They arrested our Lord. It got worse for Jesus. They, they gave him a mock trial. It got worse for Jesus. They, they picked Barabbas over our Lord. It got worse for Jesus. The whole crowd yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Saints of God, it got worse for Jesus. They beat him. They spit on him. They mocked him. Saints of God, it got worse for Jesus. They made him carry a, a heavy cross on his shoulder up Golgotha's hill. It got even worse for Jesus. They put nails in his wrists. They put nails in his feet. They put a crown of thorns on his head. It got worse for Jesus. They put a spear in his side. Oh, it got worse for Jesus. And church, the question I had while I was studying this text is, how could Jesus withstand all of this suffering? How could he do it? 
Yes, I know that he is the God-man, full of grace and truth in his humanity, but, but how, Lord, how? There's many reasons we can give. But one reason is most assuredly that Jesus was able to stand during his passion because he first sat down to pray. Jesus was able to stand during his passion because he first sat down in prayer. In other words, God in prayer will give us something to hold on to before the storms of life come our way. And, and this is what we see in this scene, do we not? Let me give you this last scene and I'm going to close my sermon. It's not recorded for us in Matthew's gospel. But in Luke's gospel, we, we have something quite beautiful. It says that while Christ is in the garden of Gethsemane, agonizing in pain, doing all that, an angel comes. An angel comes. And this angel is not there just to sit with Jesus, but it says that this angel comes and strengthens Jesus. In other words, this angel comes to Gethsemane in one of Christ, if not Christ's darkest hour up to this point. While Jesus is in mental anguish, stressed in sadness and sorrow, and while he was contemplating what he was about to do on the behalf of the whole world, sweating drops of blood from his head, this angel comes to remind Jesus what he already knew, but most assuredly needed to hear. Saints of God, I don't know exactly what this angel told Jesus. If there's any time when I wish the word of God recorded for us what this strengthening was and what was said. Oh, I, I wish I had, I, I wish I had it recorded for us. But if I could guess, if I could guess while Christ is in the midst of sorrow and pain and while this angel of light comes to Christ speaking to him, if, if I can guess this angel Probably reminded the, the Lord of the words of, of Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will also help you. I will also uphold you with my righteous hand, saints of God. I don't know what the angel said to, to Jesus at this point. I don't know, but, but if I had to guess, maybe the angel told the words of David in Psalm 23.4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod will strengthen me and comfort me. I don't know what he said. Maybe the angel kept it short and plain to Jesus and said, what we say to ourselves in the night of sorrow, weeping may, weeping may adore and tarry through the night, but joy will come in the morning. I don't know what was said, congregation, but I do know what was said to Jesus in that garden. God says to us in prayer. That's what I do know. What I do know is that God in prayer gives us something to hold on to. That God in prayer gave something to Christ for him to hold on to. And God most assuredly gives us something to hold on to. God is like that. God is like that handle on that coffee cup. You ever marvel at the, the invention of a coffee cup? You know, 
the inventors of the coffee cup, they, 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 they knew that what's in the cup and the contents in the cup, we couldn't hold. That they knew that we could not hold on to what was in the cup. So what, what did they do? They make a handle. They make a handle on the coffee cup so that whatever is in the coffee cup, however hot the coffee cup is inside, all the contents would not transfer over to the handle so that no matter how hot it is, if you hold on to that handle, you will not get burned. Saints of God, God is like that. God is that handle so that no matter how hot the sun is on your back, no matter how high the waves are coming in your life, God will give you his hand to hold on to. And if you hold on to the hand of the Lord, you will, like the Lord Jesus Christ, see a third day. You will see. You will get through it. Saints of God, I'm done. Let me just tell you this last thing. That in the midst of sorrow, go to the Lord. And the Lord will give you poise. The Lord will give you the strength to stand when the trials of life come your way. Test the Lord. Go to him in prayer. And watch him do what he says he does and will always do in his word. He will hold on to you. Let's pray.